I am pumped up about what God is doing, and I'm pumped up to be a local church that gets to send students all over the globe. I'm also pumped to be a local church that's having an impact all over the globe. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But more than anything, I just want to ask in this moment that you would ready your heart for whatever God wants to say. Because we are going to jump into a Christmas series. Our Christmas series this year at ACC is called King of Kings. And every year at Christmas, when I get the opportunity to preach this incredible story of Jesus coming down from heaven into the life of a human being, it's very difficult because I never want church to be the place where we're doing the Jesus juke. You know what I'm talking about? Where everything's fun and everything's great in the celebration of Christmas, and then you come into church and it's like, hey, stop it. Remember the reason for the season. This is about a poor baby who was born without a room to be born in. This is about a teenage girl who found out she was pregnant and she was engaged and almost lost everything. This is about stuff that is serious and it's like the, the, the fun of Christmas kind of gets disconnected from the narrative that we're supposed to rally around in the church. But what I want to do is, is I want to take what we're used to experiencing in our cultural church. Christmas experience, and I want to take the fullness of joy that that stuff represents and put it on full display during this season. So it's okay if you enjoy decorating. It's okay if you're a big Christmas person. It's okay if you enjoy Christmas songs or Christmas movies. In fact, just to get you in that wavelength, I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them your favorite Christmas movie right now. Favorite Christmas movie right now. I know it's tough. What's number one? Okay. Now, a lot of you over a certain age, that was an easy response. I can see it. I didn't even have to hear it. I can see Christmas Vacation came out of a lot of mouths. Everyone who's kind of my age said Elf or Home Alone. Two, Lost in New York. Santa Claus, one, underrated. And then you got the movies that are Christmas movies but are debatable, like Frozen and Frozen 2. By the way, Frozen 2 is so good. So good. It's powerful. Y'all, if you haven't seen it yet, you need to see it. Elsa struggling with the tension of staying comfortable in what has happened previously and stepping into the fullness of adventure in the land called the unknown. I was like, you can imagine what going to a children's movie with me is like. I was like, I feel this tension all the time, and I want to go into the unknown, and, and I just want to, me and Aniston sing it all the time. Frozen is a Christmas movie, because what qualifies a Christmas movie is, is the mixture of winter and childlike wonder. So I'm going to say something controversial. Harry Potter's a Christmas movie. It is. Okay. You take the combination of winter, fill it with childlike wonder. And I know, oh, it's like, does he know he's referencing wizardry and witchcraft? Calm down, okay? <laughs> Calm down. It's a good story. It is a Christmas movie. My all-time favorite Christmas movie, and I do not endorse the lifestyles of the characters involved in this movie, but I'm a hopeless romantic. I love romantic comedies. I do not apologize for that. I grew up watching Hitch, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and 50 First Dates once a week. <laughs> But the one movie that's greater than all of those movies is a Christmas movie, and it's called The Holiday. Come on, Jude Law. Thank you. 
Jesus. I love the holiday. I love Christmas time. You know, underrated, underrated Christmas movie, now that I'm on the serendipity. If you need a good rom-com Christmas time that you've never seen before, serendipity, you're welcome for that. I, I, I love Christmas time. I love Christmas movies. And here's the thing. I know that many of you are going to leave this space and over the next month have more time than you normally have. And so the temptation is to fill that watching some of the movies that I just named and jumping on Netflix and Disney Plus, which is a gift, um, and all these new things. But here's what we want to tell you about. Here's what we want to tell you about. And we remind you about this every December. We have this incredible resource called Right Now Media where you can actually have access by scanning that barcode that comes up on the screen. Sometimes you can have access to thousands of resources and sermons that will actually fill your mind with life-giving material that will usher you into the presence of God. And you get a free subscription to that just by attending ACC. So right now, media plug, don't waste the next month binge-watching stuff. Tune into what God is doing in your life, but still enjoy Christmas. End of that part of the sermon. Here's why I want to preach a sermon series called King of Kings. I want to talk about the only way to make Christmas time meaningful this year, and it has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus, we believe, his birth is the birth of the king of all kings, and it's a birth that happens in the most humble of circumstances with very, very, very little recognition by the very people he came to redeem and save. And so this past series where we've talked about wrecked by grace, I didn't feel like God wanted us to get too far from where we've been and do something totally different over Christmas. We're not doing a Jesus juke at ACC this year where we're going, okay, don't talk about all that stuff. Come here and make this about Jesus. Here's what we're doing. We're doing what we always do at ACC. It just happens to be Christmas time. We're saying Jesus is the king of the universe, and you will find your most abundant life when you make him the king of your heart. And when the king of kings becomes your king on the inside, that is the doorway to the fullness of life you're looking for. But in order to do that this Christmas, I think you and I are going to have to, we're going to have to pursue God in the opposite direction that we're used to pursuing him. And last week we talked about how you got you to fall down humbly for God to lift you up. Powerful truth. It's not that when you and I fall, God's waiting for us to get up. It's that when you and I fall, God's waiting for us to fall before him so he can lift us up. And the kingdom of God works that way. I want to show you this with the birth of Jesus. The kingdom of God turns everything we thought life was about upside down. So in the kingdom of God, and we'll put these on the screen one at a time, giving is receiving. And that's what happens every year at Christmas time. We're reminded that It's more blessed to give than receive. This is a backwards kingdom. This is one where giving your life away is actually the doorway to finding your life. This is the one where serving other people will actually end up giving you a more fulfilling life than seeking to serve yourself. Giving is is receiving. Number two, waiting is working. In the kingdom of God, when it looks like God is doing nothing or when you feel like you're stuck doing nothing, God is actually doing something because after 400 years of silence, the Savior is born. I don't know who's in our community today who God has called you to wait, but that can be some of the most frustrating seasons in your relationship with God where you're going, I just want this, I just want him, I just want her, I just want that, I just want it, and God's going, wait for me. 
But here's the thing in the kingdom of God, when God calls you to wait, that is actually the time where God is working inside of you in ways he could not do otherwise. And when it looks like God is completely silent, do not interpret the silence of God as the absence of the presence of God. God is always working. And here comes Jesus in the moment where nobody's even paying attention to what he's doing. In the kingdom of God, poor is rich. Jesus turns everything upside down. Now what it means to be poor in spirit is to inherit the kingdom of God. Everything about our world and our culture runs completely counterintuitive to everything we're putting on the screen right now. We say more stuff. We say vie for attention. We say as long as I gather up enough comfort and security around me, I'm good. Jesus turns it completely upside down. The next one, service is greatness. Jesus says if you want to be great... Don't be great. No, no, no. He never said that. Some of y'all, that's what you think your Bible says. Jesus wants you to be great. Did you know that? We're afraid of that in the church. We're like, no, 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 no. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be, no, no, no. Jesus didn't say, if you want to be great, stop. He said, if you want to be a great, if you want to be great, be a servant to all. The pathway to greatness is spending your life in service to other people, which is exactly what the Son of God does. He comes down from heaven not to be served, but to serve and to pour out his life as a ransom for many. And then the last one, humility is honor. That the pathway to being exalted, the pathway to being lifted up in the kingdom of God is taking the lower position, is actually choosing to bow your life. Now, here's, here's why I said all these things. I believe the birth of Jesus has every single one of those things in it. And I believe the birth of the King of Kings is the sign to humanity that God wants you to approach him in the opposite direction you're tempted to go naturally. If you're going to spend this Christmas encountering the fullness of the presence of God, I believe you were created to encounter, you're going to have a tendency to pursue God. You're going to have a tendency to go after him. But what I want to do in this series is say, don't do what comes natural to you. Step into the supernatural by going in the opposite direction. And what this is going to look like, I'm so excited about this. This is going to look like getting our hearts around the idea that God is not calling us to ascend to heaven and prove ourselves to him. God is calling us to bow down humbly beside the manger and get back to a heart of worship. If you need a title for this sermon, that's what it's called, Heart of Worship. Top five all-time worship songs, if you've never heard it, the simple phrase, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Everyone under 24 is so confused right now. They're like, is that, is that like the Bethel, the early days? Is that, is that, I don't know. I haven't heard that one. I'm not familiar with that one. I want to talk about the heart of worship. And I believe the simplicity of getting your heart in humble submission before the King of Kings will deliver everything you're looking for from your relationship with God this Christmas and more. If you have your Bible, hold it up all over this room. Hold it up. Hold it up. Let me see him. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Keep your Bible in the air if all you want for Christmas is a date. Okay, how about that? If all you want for Christmas, oh, whoa, they came down fast. All right. 
Hopefully they'll stay up higher at the seven. Turn with me to Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two. Come on, guys. By the way, favorite Christmas song? All I want for Christmas is you, obviously. Mariah Carey, queen. Here we go. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We're actually going to read about something that happened after Jesus was born, and it's called the visit of the Magi. We call them wise men or the three kings who visited Jesus at his birth, but the actual account of this in the Bible is totally different than what you and I see in our nativity scenes. Did you know that there were not three wise men in the Bible? There was a group of magi who brought three gifts to Jesus from the east. They were traveling west, contrary to the song, the first Noel. They saw a star in the west, and they traveled to bring gifts, but there wasn't necessarily three of them. There may have been three of them, but there was probably more like 12 or 20. And they brought three gifts to Jesus, and it probably took about at least eight months, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half to get to Jesus. So I say all that to say, just go to your nativity, grab your wise men, and move them like across the room. They're on the way, but they're not there yet, okay? This narrative has gotten totally mixed up because we just want everybody to be there at the birth. They are not there at the birth. Or they have an airplane, and that's not physically possible. So they're, they're from the eastern part of the world at the time. This is called Persia, maybe, maybe more over toward where China and India would be. Not that far, but, but, but you're getting close when you start thinking east. And so they see a star because these guys are brilliant, wealthy, influential men. That's why they're called kings. And they were actually astrologers that studied the sky and interpreted the events of the universe based on what they saw in the sky. But they also studied the text of most world religions, including the Jewish religion. So watch this. This is so cool. They knew if there was ever a star shining in the west that the king of the people of Israel, the Jews, has been born. And they were not just brilliant men. They were not just wealthy men. They were worshipers seeking for something to do with this void in their heart. The reason why I want us to develop a heart of worship this Christmas is because this is what your heart was created for regardless of whether or not it's Christmas. You were given life on this planet to worship the God of the universe. And for these men, they have everything and still they're seeking. They have all this money. They have all this knowledge. They have all of this ability that not many people have been given. But yet, they're going to pursue by taking on a really, really, really difficult journey to get to wherever this king of the Jews is. And I want to read to you what happens. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. This is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. 
This is one of those moments where you think I'm reading a story you've heard 10,000 times, but I want you to see it in real time. I want you to see this as it happens. Don't just read the Bible and assume you know it. Watch this. You have these brilliant, influential guys traveling from Persia to a land that most of them have probably never been to, knowing that a king has been born to this group of people. And so, of course, where would the king be born? The star has stopped shining. Nobody talks about that. Star wasn't shining the whole time. It goes away. So they go to Jerusalem, the capital, because obviously the king's going to be born in the capital, and they go, hey, it's time. We know we're late because we saw the star and we had to make the journey over here, but your, your king has been born. Where is he? And no one knows what they're talking about. No one's paying any attention. In fact, the king that was there is a king named Herod, who was actually a king in the Roman Empire who was famously notorious for being threatened by anyone taking his place. He would kill his own sons because he was afraid his sons were going to assassinate him. Caesar Augustus, if you're into history, the Caesar in charge of all of Rome said about King Herod that he would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son to save his own life. So Herod's like, wait, a king was born? I didn't hear about this. Where is he? Where is he? I got to find him. I got to find him. He doesn't want to worship the king of kings. He wants to eliminate the king of kings. And so he goes, get me, get, get me the teachers, like, was there a king born? If there was a king born, where would he be born? And watch this. Teachers of the law, the experts. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, Micah wrote uh, Bethlehem in Judea. There's going to be a ruler that comes out of Bethlehem. If there was a king born, and there hasn't, according to them, he would be born in Bethlehem. Watch this. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, so at this point we've transitioned from the birth of Jesus to a house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country another route. Amazing. I want you to see in this story that so many of us are familiar with, but so few of us actually feel the weight of, that the most brilliant educated, wealthy men from far away end up at the feet of Jesus while the entire nation Jesus was born to is silent and has no idea that he's even there or that he even matters. And did you notice that when the Magi rolled up to Jerusalem, the Magi didn't know where he was going to be born, but they were pursuing the opportunity to worship him. And the people who knew all of the Bible verses about the birth completely missed out on their one moment in history to participate in something that has never and will never be seen again. Y'all, they had it memorized. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Yeah, we know that. He's, if he was going to be born, he'll be born in Bethlehem. But you know what they're doing? They're going about their religious business in their day completely disconnected from whether or not God is doing anything special or significant. 
And when the people who are actually filled up with hearts that want to worship, that want to seek God arrive, it's the people with the Bible knowledge who can point them in the right direction, but the people with no previous knowledge of this that end up worshiping at his feet. What are you trying to say, Miles? I'm saying that I believe in our day, the way we go about living in the kingdom of God, which is what Matthew is all about, the way we go about worshiping the king of kings cannot, will not be the pursuit of more biblical knowledge. It has to be the pursuit of a savior who has given us the Bible in order to know him. Here's what I'm saying, guys. Everybody look up here and do not miss this. The purpose of God is not that you would know Scripture. The purpose of Scripture is that you would know God. This is about having a real relationship with the God of the universe. And in 2019, in Auburn, Alabama, I'm seeing a dangerous tendency among Christians to be more passionate about upholding the truth of the scriptures than they are passionate about living in worship of the God who saved them. One is supposed to complement each other, the other not contradict the other. So I'm not saying that biblical knowledge is bad. I'm just saying we're not a group of people who are going to worship the Bible. We're going to worship Jesus. And we're going to let the Bible inform us on who Jesus is. This is not just a sermon that we're doing at Christmas time, y'all. I believe this is something God has called us as a church to put at the center of who we are. Our moments of worship together, where we're lifting up songs to the God of the universe, are just as meaningful and impactful as any truth unpacked from this book. Because our God is a relational God who gave us hearts not set on gaining knowledge about him, but set on worshiping him. And I think we've got a moment to put this in its rightful place. We live in submission to the scriptures, totally. But our God is a relational God. And so I've just, I've just noticed things in our community and noticed some conversations that are becoming a little detrimental to our people. And as your pastor, I have felt for months like I need to get in front of you and say something. And so I'm going to say it. God has called us as a church to vehemently oppose the religiosity and pattern of cultural Christianity that has taken root in this community for decades, maybe centuries. And it is going to bother people here. It is bothering people here. It means that we're more passionate about getting in the presence of God than we are spending my entire sermon going through your mind policing whether or not what I'm saying is biblical. That's what it means. It means singing a song and participating in worship and praying for those people around you, not disengaging because a line in the song doesn't line up with what you believe theologically. That's what it means. You know, literally, I've, I've heard people ask, like, you guys, you guys sing the song, What a Beautiful Name, about Jesus. Yes, we do. And we believe it. Well, there's, there's a line in that song that says, he, he wouldn't want heaven without us. So, Jesus, you brought heaven down. And I just, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because 
I love, do you love when I do the voice of the, of the really critical, smart Christian? Um, it's like, I just, I don't, God's like, he's self-sufficient. He didn't need us. He's fine on his own. I, I, I don't know if I can accurately sing that. And, 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 and that point is fair. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us at all. He's perfectly glorious. But if what you believe about the Bible and what you've come to understand about theology makes you disengage from a moment of worship to literally where thousands of people are around you singing about the glory of Jesus and you have your arms crossed, I feel like Woody from Toy Story. You are a Pharisee. That is what you are. And I just want to point out, in the story of Christmas, the whole nation of Israel doesn't recognize Jesus minus a few shepherds. And they saw an angel, had a little advantage. Okay? All the religious people are not paying attention. The only difference between them and these magi who travel from far away is the magi have a simple pursuit. We just want to worship the one who's been born king of the Jews. If you could just get us into his presence, if we could just find him, if we could just be with them. And with all the knowledge in the world, the heart of worship has been sucked out of the people of Israel and they're left sitting idle while history is taking place. Whatever God has for us as a church in this little season where we are living and breathing in this city, I do not want to miss it, ACC. And I think the way we will miss it is if we make majors of minors and minors of majors. So this is a very difficult thing to do. ACC is non-denominational, but that's actually not true. We're interdenominational. We have community groups loaded with people who are high-level thinkers, reformed, former like Presbyterian, Anglican, and they're doing life and community with super charismatic, like loaded with, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they, and these people could not be more different. We got... Methodists who have been baptizing their children as infants right beside Baptists who believe strongly in a believer's baptism. We've got former Catholics. We've got people who have never been to church. And so what we're trying to do is like shove us all into the same faith family and make it about this banner, this headline, Jesus wins. And it doesn't matter if I disagree with you. I just want to lift him up. He's the main thing. And so as that's happening, we've grown wider and wider and wider. And so 30 people became 300 and then 1,000 and then a couple thousand. And as your leader, what's happening is those numbers are only growing of people who disagree about tertiary issues. And I, this is why this Christmas series, I want to put the kingdom of God on display and I want to go, hey, let's not become a group of people who pursue more of Jesus based on a contest of who knows the most about this book. Figure out your convictions. Figure out what it is that you believe. If you have a question about what we believe, myself and the elders are available. But from there, we're letting the Bible inform us on a lifestyle of love, not becoming so critical that we can literally not even sit through a church service without judging something or somebody. The reason why I preach this so passionately, this is going to get hard for me to say, it's because I'm preaching to myself. When I was in college and early in seminary, I started learning things about God that I never knew before. And it did not make me love God or people more. So I was missing something. I got to the point to where I couldn't listen 
to five sentences of a sermon without judging the person with a microphone. And I didn't know how sick my heart was. This, this is crazy. Until I was sitting at Passion, and it was the same Passion that Caitlin Willing was talking about. And I was sitting there where a girl who's pregnant and scared is encountering God, and a guy who's been studying the Bible for a decade, one of them's experiencing God and the other one's not. Because I have my arms crossed going, I didn't like that guy. He wasn't, wasn't biblical enough for me. Oh, yeah, because you, you know better, 21-year-old Miles, talking to myself. I've been like that. And I feel like this is the moment this Christmas where I want to call us to pursue God. If it's not through more knowledge and more study, what is it through? It is through letting that knowledge and that study usher you into a moment, many moments with God, where Jesus takes his rightful place as the king of your heart again. What you need today or in any season and what our church needs the most going into a new decade is to make sure Jesus is the center of it all and make sure Jesus is the one that we're pursuing and Jesus is the one who we treasure. That's what they did. And did you notice the joy on their journey? They saw a star in the sky that went away, asked a question, went, and it reappeared. These guys are having a blast on their journey. Their spirituality, which by the way, spirituality is the opposite of religiosity. The religious will always persecute the spiritual. We are spiritual. We're seeking God. But it's so much more fun. It's so much better when you're going, I'm just on this adventure, and I'm chasing you, and I'm loving you, and I'm wanting more of you. That's what God has for you. And do you know what they get when they get their hearts into a position of worship for Jesus? They get direction for their next steps. Did you notice that? Right after they worshiped Jesus, they had a dream, and they knew, hey, we're not supposed to go back that way. We're supposed to go back that way. Some of you have been bothering God all of 2019 about instructions that you think you want, but the answer that you want from God is on the other side of getting your heart in a position of submission and worship before him. That if Jesus is the king of your heart, you shift your pursuit from, God, I need answers from you, to making your pursuit, God, I just want you. And if I don't get an answer, that's okay because you're the treasure, you're the focus, you satisfy. And when you get your heart in that position, it's amazing how God will give you the answers at the least expected times in the least expected ways. Some of you who are waiting on God today, stop waiting. Worship. Get your life bowed before him. And the answers flow naturally because God never wanted his relationship with you to be about what you needed to know from him in a given moment. He wanted his relationship with you to be about him flowing through your veins with the life you were created for. And that can't happen without the blood of Jesus. And you don't get the blood of Jesus as a covering unless you're bowed humbly in submission and worship. I'm saying let's stay that church. I'm, staying, I'm saying let's stay that group of people that says no. No, no, no matter how much we, we, we can disagree and we come from different backgrounds, can we stay with the main thing? The main thing, is this really about ushering people into the presence of Jesus? And honestly, if that's not why we're building a building off Hamilton Road, then we don't need to build a building. If, if that's not why we're doing whatever we're doing in our next steps, then we've missed it entirely. 
And so today, I want to ask the question, is Jesus the ultimate treasure of your heart? Later in Matthew, many of you know this verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what you're worshiping today, it's what you treasure. And if you want to know what you treasure, ask yourself this question. What is it that it would be hell for me to give up if God called me to let go? That's the treasure that God's going. Surrender and submit. And so I want to simply ask the question today, can we be like the Magi? who get before the manger, and what do they do? They present treasures to him. Now, for them, it was gold and frankincense and myrrh, and we could go into the meaning of all three of those things and what they meant for a king, but I just want you to see this backward, upside-down moment at the manger. The king of kings is born to a family with no money and a place to stay where somebody's inviting them in, and these men, with all the influence and all the stuff and all the knowledge, travel from afar just to be in his presence. It's an upside-down kingdom. Wait, wait. You said you want me to do the opposite of what I'm tempted to do this Christmas. Yes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to not make this Christmas about getting things right between you and God. I want you to make this Christmas about bowing your life at the fact that God has already made things right with you through Jesus. Christmas is awesome because Christmas means God said, I'll do it. It's not about you finding me. It's about me coming down to find you. Those magi didn't find Jesus as much as Jesus came down from heaven to find them. If you have a heart of worship that seeks to know the living God, he will be found by you. If you draw near to God, I promise you, he will draw near to you. And what we've got to understand in this season is let's put away everything that comes natural and just make this about enjoying Jesus. Let's just make this about delighting in his presence. Let's just make this about singing and lifting him up and giving things of value and going, I found a treasure that's greater than anything I could find in this world. That's who we want to be. And that's what we're going to do this Christmas. How are we going to do that? Very simple. This is how you worship. You ready? I got one point today. Christmas miracle. Right? This is worship. Connect the sacrifice of your hands to the surrender of your heart. That's worship. Connect the sacrifice of your hands to the surrender of your heart. Where there is no sacrifice, there is no worship. But when we talk about worshiping God, we're not simply talking about singing. We're not just talking about reading. We're not talking about disciplines. We're talking about taking something that's, not diff- that's very difficult for you to go, God, I'm entrusting this over to you. And it's not comfortable. It's not fun. But I believe you're better. And what happens in your life is the posture of your hands tends to impact the posture of your heart. And when you make something tangible, receptive for God to come and move, now you've tapped into the spiritual. So what do I want you to do? I want you to think about today, what is it that God is calling you to let go of that you treasure and watch how God fills the gap with himself? And so the way I usually preach this part of the sermon would be, Make a fist and think about what is it in your life that you're holding on to so tightly and, and, and watch God kind of slowly, slowly unravel your fingers. But that's not what I see in Matthew chapter 2. 
what I see is a group of people who are delighted to hand over what would be hard for some because they found someone better. And so instead of, what is it God has called you to give up that you need to sacrifice? I want you to understand that when you truly know Jesus and you treasure him for the treasure that he is, worship doesn't feel like a sacrifice as much as it feels like an absolute pleasure to get to do this. So as you open yourself up to God, as you go, God, I surrender this to you, we respond with joy because we actually believe that Jesus is better. If you've lost me in this sermon, you need to look up here right now. I believe the most powerful position in worship a human being can get to is when they see Jesus as more valuable and beautiful and all-satisfying than any other treasure the world has to offer. In this moment, I want you to think about what's competing for the affection of your heart and the fact that the God of the universe has sent down a savior from heaven to bring you back to him, not just in this life, but forevermore in heaven. The reason why I became a Christian is not because I grew up in the Bible Belt. The reason why I became a Christian is because I compared what Jesus had to offer my life to every other option, and I said, Jesus, you win. In this moment, I don't want you to respond to Jesus with, okay, if I have to give this up, I will. I want you to look into the manger, and I want you, better yet, to look into heaven and ask yourself this simple question. Is Jesus worth losing everything? And have you found him to be that all-satisfying treasure? You know what's crazy is they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when when we give to God every week financially, part of me wishes that we had some kind of tangible way of doing that. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. A couple months ago, we talked about generosity when we were closing out our Philippians series. This is such a cool story, y'all. And and, uh, Matt Cole ended that sermon by singing Heart Abandoned. You know, a song where it says, gold and silver, you can take it. All I want is you, my Lord. The next day, we were in the offices over here, and there was a man who showed up at the church with this ginormous box that he could barely carry. And he's like, he's like stumbling into the office, like falling over from the weight of this box. I'm like, man, is this, this is going to be the end, Lord. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what is going on with this guy. And he's like, listen, 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 Matt, this is, I mean, he was like in a hurry. He's like, Matt saying yesterday that gold and silver, you can take it. And he's like, here's the thing. I'm not a rich man by any means, but my family has accumulated a level of wealth. And he said, I always wanted to invest in like tangible physical wealth. And so over time, we've accumulated this large collection of metals, like gold, silver, and all kind of stuff. And yesterday, when we said gold and silver, you can take it, and and you started talking about what we're dreaming about for the future of ACC at Hamilton Road, he's like, I knew we had to do this, y'all. He opens up this box that weighs enough to, like, barrel down my entire body, and inside the box, you're not going to believe this, there were 500 silver coins, They're literally worth almost $20 a coin. He opens it up almost like a treasure chest and says, listen, I just want this to be an offering to God because I believe he's better. He wasn't coming because he's like, oh, God's calling me to give my money. I got to give my money. God's calling me to sing the song. I got to lift my hands, even though I'm not one of the charismatics and it's uncomfortable for me. I got to, no, 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 no. That's not how we worship. We worship in delight. We worship as people who go, okay, this is what I value. 
But when I look at you, I value you 10 times, 20 times, 10 billion times more. And so instead of holding on to whatever it is I value, this this is worship. Worship is a response to what Jesus has already done. Jesus, you brought me back from the dead. Sure, you can have it all. You just take it. Because better at your throne than me holding on to something that doesn't truly give me life. What is it? that you're holding on today, that in light of Jesus, you've got to let go of. And for the vast majority of us, it's our own tendency to try to be good enough for God. And so today, we're going to step into a moment where you get an opportunity to worship God. But I want your worship to have everything to do with your hands going, Lord, whatever you got for me in this season, whatever you got for me next I want our worship to be loaded with submission to God, not because we have to, but because we get to. And when you make room in your heart like that for God, you have created the capacity for God to surprise you with the adventure of the lifetime in ACC. I don't wanna miss out on the one thing God has for us in these days. So we're gonna sing, but before we sing, we're gonna give. And we're gonna give because we enjoy giving to what God is doing here. I could give you a huge update on what God is doing as we prepare to build this building. And it's getting close and people have given so generously and we still, there are are high needs, I'll just say that. And we've been asking our church this whole month, would you lean in and prepare for what God might call you to do so that we can put this building on Hamilton Road. And you know what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna put a plan up on the screen or tell you, this is why you should give because the building looks this cool. I'm just gonna ask you, if God's like tugging on your heart to give to what he's doing here in this day, then be obedient to that. But we're not just gonna give you the chance to worship through songs. We're gonna give you the chance to worship through giving. Ushers, if y'all wanna go ahead and get into position, you can. All the ways to give are gonna be on the screen. And after we tangibly worship God by the giving of our tithes and offerings, we're gonna worship God through the singing of our songs. Let me pray over us. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your presence would cover this space, that we would worship as people that are not worshiping because we, that's what we do on Sundays or because that's what we have to do in this season. We are people who are delighted to experience you this Christmas. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that for every person in this room who doesn't believe they're good enough to participate in the story of God, I pray a new beginning. I pray that we would be a people loaded with hearts of worship to know you and to love you and to sing to you and that you would once again, Jesus, be that all-satisfying treasure. We want nothing but you and it's all because of you. So we give, we sing, We respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all go ahead and pass those around.